that. Can we talk a little bit about systemic racism for just a moment? Can we just can we put to bed this kind of ridiculous argument that we seem to have in the last week or two that somehow it doesn't exist here in Canada? Are we done with that now? Are we finished? Because I think we can all accept that we do have systemic racism here in this country. You know, and you don't believe me, what about the Peel School Board? The Peel School Board, uh, the public board, has faced strong criticism about systemic racism against black students. And an investigator has put a report out saying that the board is, quote, incapable of providing good governance. And there will be a march on the 17th, that's tomorrow, a march for justice that goes from the courthouse in Brampton to the steps of the Peel District School Board as people call for change, change to our education system, change to the way our police work, change to our justice system, to be able to accept what I think is obvious, that there is a systemic bias. Anthony Morgan is a racial justice lawyer and manager of the City of Toronto's Confronting Anti-Black Racism Unit, and joins me on the line. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Let's begin with this phrase, defunding the police. As you know, a couple of city councillors have proposed a 10% cut to the police budget. In response, the mayor has said that seems like an arbitrary number and it doesn't seem like a good idea. Give me your sense of what you hear when you hear, quote-unquote, defunding the police. What I hear and what I would encourage many more to hear is reinvesting within communities. If you look at the actual facts of how we've stewarded the limited funds that we have to resource public services, a dramatically high number has gone to police, while a curiously low number of those resources have gone into things like child care services, mental health supports, transit leisure, education, arts, culture, things that help communities really thrive and grow. And so when we're talking about defunding police, at least from the perspective that I, I work from, and there's, there's a range of different perspectives, but it's really about reinvesting the limited resources we have back into the communities to really and truly help them grow. The Premier of the province has said that he does not support any kind of cut in police budgets. And when I spoke to the head of the Toronto Police Association, He specifically said, well, you tell me, go ahead and tell me which police programs you're willing to cut to be able to put money elsewhere. And and that's a pervasive argument, and I wonder what your reaction to that is. Well, thankfully, we live in a democracy. So the premier, uh, who who holds himself out as, as of course, the, 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 the premier of the people, should be listening to the calls that are coming from near and far across this province where folks are articulating themselves about what they really want to see in an Ontario that is more inclusive, that is moving towards an anti-racist direction, where the proper services and supports are being provided to Ontarians. Also, respectfully, the Toronto Police Association, they're not accountable to the the broader public. They're accountable to their members, other police service members. So, of course, they're going to say that this is not a good idea. At the end of the day, what we have in our society is a democracy, and I'd like to think that we're, as citizens, allies, and wanting to see uh, better well-being across the board, we'd say, well, what are, what are communities really saying? And more often than, than not, 
they're saying that, again, we need more access to affordable childcare. We need more accessible transit systems. We need mental health supports. We need more active parks and rec spaces where our children can grow, play in healthy ways. But we only have finite resources. So where can we look to say that while it seems that one set of uh, services is getting way more resources than the other services that we rely on for the health and well-being of our communities. So, and that's what this is really about. Do, do you sense that we are at a, a moment of change, or will we revert back to you know, the argument about law and order, um, it, the sort of thing that tends to get people elected? Yeah, I think there's always that, that risk when we have moments like this where there's this upswing. My office, the Confronting Anti-Black Racism Unit at the City of Toronto, came up out of uh, organizing and advocacy of Black Lives Matter Toronto, and that was a moment back in 2016. Uh, and yet here we are now in, in 2020 having this conversation. Some will say little has changed. Others will say a lot has changed. So the point is these cycles do happen, but in this particular moment, I am hopeful because out of a previous wave of advocacy, my office and the Toronto Action Plan to confront anti-black racism emerged as the only office and the only plan that any government, uh, at least in North America, has undertaken to specifically address anti-black racism. So who knows what comes out of this moment, but I know many across communities, within academic spaces, within communities, uh, within, uh, within the business world, are also looking at concretely at initiatives that they can put forward. So it might mean that eventually we go back to a, a law and order kind of conversation, but at least there will be meaningful gains out of this moment, and we'll carry those forward. Anthony, is it enough to say that we would defund the police or at least rethink police without actually having a very serious conversation about the, the further portion of the justice system, and that is the courts? Well, they're definitely connected. And so uh, when you over-resource the police compared to how we resource community health and social services, then, of course, that means you need you need more prisons. You need uh, more carceral institutions, folks who are monitoring, controlling, and, and surveilling uh, members of the community. But the idea is if we start where there's that initial point of connection with police services, then you have a lower need and reliance in our society on those on those systems what we're finding is that there are too many civilians too many members of our public people we care about and love who are only getting access to health and community services that they always needed only once they're arrested but what if we led with those services so they're engaging with social workers first before problems arise social workers in our schools we have or having community workers and community programs programmers more properly resourced in our communities in our schools so that the criminality pieces don't uh don't firm up and don't become uh, more active parts of too many young people's lives i'm reminded of the number of times pre-pandemic that doug ford would castigate uh, judges and and complain about slap on the wrist. And I I always sort of struck me as a little problematic that an elected politician would wade into the judiciary like that. What's your perspective? Well, I think I would go back to my point about about democracy. I think we have to be mindful about how we uh, engage the justice system in that way. As was mentioned, I'm, I'm a lawyer, so I'm always cautious even when I'm making critical points about our justice system. I don't, I, I don't think it's, it's fruitful or helpful in a healthy society uh, to uh, attack judges in, uh, in that kind of way. They are protectors of our Constitution, and part of our Constitution is our human rights. And judges also have this unique position where they make very public 
um, they have such a very public effect through making laws, through their decisions, but they're not able to defend themselves, explain themselves. Their decision is supposed to stand for itself. And so when uh, leaders, political leaders, criticize their decision or them in their office, there's, there's a level at which I think uh, should resonate with our communities to say this is, this is not the direction we, we want to go as a healthy, inclusive uh, constitutional democracy. Then how do we educate the judiciary if we're not calling them out? How do we educate the system to better understand racial bias? Well, I think calling them out is certainly a, a part of that. I think what I'm speaking to more is who calls them out and, and how. I, there needs to be a more focus on, on appointing uh, uh, judges in a way that is more reflective of our, our diverse and dynamic uh, populations. We're talking about this conversation of anti-black racism. You have to note that in any courtroom you walk into, even in, in downtown centers, the racial dynamic is it's alarming. You, you see that the folks who are um, being tried and, and charged, they are overwhelmingly black and racialized, and the folks who are the lawyers wearing the suits, the ones in the robes, they're overwhelmingly white, middle-aged. And so there's a dynamic there that speaks to access to justice and whether or not we are creating a justice system that is really inclusive. And so we can still call out the judicial system. We can still speak honestly about the ways in which it's failing. I just think we, we definitely need to do so in a way that is more consistent with, again, the, the constitutional democratic principles of respecting the role that judges have, while at the same time trying to support them to do better. Anthony Morgan is a lawyer and also manager of the City of Toronto's Confronting Anti-Black Racism Unit. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me on. Important conversation, important thing to think about. How do we move forward? How do we get past this moment in time and affect real and lasting change?